Okay, we're in a series called Discover Joy, and it's about my favorite topic, as I've already shared, God's grace. And I think one reason is because it's just so unnatural to us, God's grace. So today's topic is restoring grace. That'll make sense here in a minute. Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's you and I have an intimate, personal relationship with Almighty God. Now, no relationships are stagnant. All relationships, whether here on earth or with God, are either grow, pe- people in the relationship are growing closer together or they're drifting apart. Now, let me ask you, what would you do? What's the easiest thing to do? What's the natural thing to do? What's the thing that happens if you don't do anything? You drift apart. So that happens in our relationships, husband, wife's, parent-child, whatever it might be, friend-to-friend. So what happens when it starts to drift apart? Or maybe it's almost completely drift apart. What do you do? How do you restore it? Now, in our human relationships, the problem is that person may not want to, (laughs) that other person. Um, And we've all had friends in the past that aren't friends anymore, for whatever reason. Maybe just got disconnected. But see, in this relationship with God, one of the members of this relationship is perfect. So, they, they're not going to do anything to cause disruption in a relationship. They're not going to uh, leave uh, unwarrantedly. Uh, they don't want to leave. They want to be in the relationship. So the question is, when you and I drift away, because God doesn't drift away, when you and I drift away, what does God do? And depending on how far we drift, we may say, well, God says thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. That's not what God does. That's why we call it restoring grace. God's desire is always to draw us closer, um, bring us back if we've wandered or strayed. and So that's why we call it restoring grace. <clears throat> so I'll put a verse on the outline. First verse, <clears throat> excuse me. A prayer you and I can pray if we find ourselves drifting. We can pray this prayer as a psalm, uh, <clears throat> writer of lamentation. Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the what? Joys we once have. Now, when you and I drift in a relationship with God, our joy drifts, so to speak. Our joy decreases. One way you can detect the fact that you've drifted is because you've lost some of that joy. So, how do you get your joy back? And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but I want to talk about first how we lose it. <laughs> and we're going to use um, the example of, of Peter, one of the disciples, in his uh, encounters with Jesus on that last night. So we're going to call it, what causes believers to fall away or to drift? And it involves Peter's denial. <clears throat> so Jesus is gathered with his 12 disciples in the upper room, on the last day of his life, last evening, celebrating the Passover, this huge religious festival. And uh, in the midst of that, he says, one of you is going to deny me. So the disciples are looking around. Is it me? Is it you? I don't know. Maybe it's me. Is it going to be me, Jesus? Is it me? All except for one disciple. Best we can tell, all of them are questioning themselves except for one. And so I'm going to call this overconfidence. One reason believers fall away is because of overconfidence. Because Peter, what does Peter say? All right, we'll put the verse up. We'll put overconfidence up first, and then we'll put the verse up. What does Peter say? 
Peter said to him, um, even if they all fall away, desert you, ashamed, afraid of being associated with you, not me. <laughs> I'm a, I won't do it. And Peter said, it's not going to be me. He was overconfident, <laughs> and he felt, that, I'm not, that's not going to happen to me. So, Paul's writing this in Corinthians. This is a dangerous place for any of us to be, overconfident. And so in Corinthians, he says this, let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident, there's our word, and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. So when you and I think we can't happen to me, that's exactly when it can happen to you. There is no sin outside of any of ours possibility. Oh, I could never cheat on my wife. Well, sure you could. Lots of people do. You make you somehow better than everybody else. In fact, that's the most dangerous place when you think you can't do it. Now, the, the expression I like is, but by the grace of God go I. It helps me keep me from being overconfident and helps me from being judgmental of other people. And... Be, always be on your guard. Anytime you and I think something's not an issue or potentially a problem, that's when Satan can get in there and mess with our lives. So overconfidence causes us to drift away. Okay, God, my life's going pretty good. I can kind of leave, leave you on the side for a while. And uh, <clears throat> Peter was overconfident. Second thing was, uh, can cause us to fall away is laziness. Laziness. <clears throat> Again, relationships take work and we get tired and so we tend to at times slack off whether it's, uh, you know, spending time with God and reading our Bible and praying, those type of things or serving God, I get tired of serving. Um, my wife and I, we serve a lot and it, it, it gets tiring serving. Uh, it's a good, good tired, but it's, it's tiring. Um, so when we see ourselves drifting away or slacking off, that should be a warning to us. If you don't want to, you know, uh, do the stuff you were doing before, uh, I mean, unless you're not healthy enough to do it, then that's a caution. That's a uh, potential danger. <clears throat> so after the meal, Jesus takes his disciples out into the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes three of them along with him to where he's going to pray. And he says, you guys stay here and pray, and I'm going to go here and pray by myself. <clears throat> So he prays for a while, he comes back. What are they doing? Are they praying? Peter's one of them. What are they doing? Let's read the text. Then he returned and he found the three disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, I thought this is funny, he's sleeping. He's talking to a sleeping person. My wife does that at night. Your, your spouse do that? Sometimes I say, are you awake? <laughs> sometimes I am, I guess, and sometimes I'm not. When I'm awake, I respond, obviously. But he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Weren't you able to stay awake for even one hour. Now, he didn't realize it, but this was the last time he was going to be with Jesus here on earth. Most of you know, uh, future son-in-law died a couple weeks ago. And if I knew, can I couldn't imagine the, the last couple hours, potentially I could have been with Bud, and I didn't, or I just fell asleep because um, I wasn't conscientious. Um, but that's what, that's what the disciples were doing. They are falling asleep in their last potential time with Jesus. Now, getting tired is natural. We all get tired. We get physically tired. We get emotionally tired. We get mentally tired. We get spiritually tired. So the key is 
to find a way to refresh or recharge because when you, the more tired you and I are in any of these areas, the more susceptible to temptation we are. And if you think back in your life, the times when you slipped up or fell, they weren't times when you were all energized. They were times when you were tired or discouraged. Let me ask you a simple question. What is easier, to do the right thing or the wrong thing? <laughs> it's easier to do the wrong thing. I don't know why. It'd be great if it was easier to do the right thing. <laughs> Somebody said to me afterwards, it's like, it's easier to eat a candy bar than it is to eat broccoli. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's harder to do the right thing. So you have to have energy to do what's right. And so be careful. Now, physically, it's easy. Take a nap, get good rest. Uh, you can recharge that way. But spiritually and mentally and emotionally, you and I have to figure that out. And that's critical if we're going to keep from drifting in our relationship with God. <clears throat> so Jesus follows this up with this statement. He says this, Keep watch and pray, so to these three disciples, so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing but the body or the flesh is weak. So be careful. Another reason we fall away or believers fall away is because of fear of disapproval. Fear of disapproval. Uh, we all want people to like us. Jesus was the only perfect person that ever lived. Everybody loved him, right? No. So you can't live your life with fear of disapproval. So what happens with Peter? Meanwhile, Peter's following Jesus gets arrested and Jesus is following him. But notice what it says. He's following him at a distance. Why at a distance? Because he didn't want to be associated with Jesus. Didn't want to be recognized with Jesus. Eventually he gets accused of being a follower of Jesus and denies him three times, right? Um, which he said he would never do. But he wanted to keep his distance so he wouldn't be associated with Jesus. What about you and I? Do we keep Jesus at a distance? Do we not want to be associated with him? I thought of one simple illustration. When you go to a restaurant and eat, do you pray? Or do you feel embarrassed because uh, people will think you're, you know, a religious fanatic? I always, now we don't do it loudly, but I always find it fun to pray. pray and, uh, and I always love to see somebody else praying when I, when I go out to eat. But do you want to keep Jesus at a distance? When you're in some kind of civic group, do people know that you're, you know, you're a Jesus follower? You just kind of talk about everything else but, but Jesus. Do we only keep Jesus at a distance? The old uh, expression is this. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Oh, my neighbor, uh, I see them go off on Sunday morning sometimes for a couple hours. I don't know, maybe they go to church, I don't know. Uh, is there enough evidence to convict you and I? Or do we keep Jesus at a distance? If we do, that relationship is going to deteriorate. In fact, here's some really sobering words of Jesus. Um, if anyone's ashamed of me and my message in this adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man, which means Jesus, will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow, pretty serious, right? Um, God's army has no secret agents. It's as simple as that. In fact, I was reading in Revelation 21. That's read at the end of this book, like next to the last page. It lists 
the sin of cowardness along with adultery and murder. Now, we don't think it's a big deal. God thinks it's a big deal. So when you and I become ashamed of being recognized as a Jesus follower, we're going to be drifting away. Another cause is convenience, or we could call it inconvenience. So when being a Jesus follower is inconvenient, then I begin to drift away. It's uh, one of the verses that just is hard to comprehend uh, in Scripture. And maybe you haven't even noticed it. Uh, What happens next with Peter? He's keeping its distance. But then he goes into the courtyard and he sits down and warms himself by the fire. Now this is amazing. All right? Jesus is being, he's arrested, he's going to be tried. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen yet. But Jesus doesn't even, I mean, Peter doesn't even want to be inconvenienced enough to be cold. So he warms himself by the fire. Who is he hanging out with? The same people that are arrested him, the same people that's going to crucify him, the same people that are going to yell, crucify him, crucify him. Now I see people, when I see people drift away, there's usually a pattern. Now it used to be the pattern would be kind of like this. I don't know what goes on in their their private life, but most likely, you know, they're slacking off on their time alone with God. Prayer and Bible study, that stuff. Um, What I do see is usually um, offering. Uh, I don't need to give that much. I'll give a little bit less, maybe not give anything. And eventually, they stop coming. Well, they stop coming as often, eventually stop coming. The interesting thing in the last year and a half is what happened first. We all stopped coming. (laughs) Now, a lot of people start watching it online, but the people watching online has gone down. And the attendance here has still gone down. Uh, people in, uh, attending. They're drifting away. Their hearts are becoming cold. It's another way to say it. There's a verse in Scripture I always find this interesting because we always think, hey, the great early church was great. People are all on fire, all excited. Now, if you read your New Testament, it wasn't that way. And one thing issue they had was this right here. Uh, oh, it's my, I, here's people say that. So it's, it's so much easier just to watch the service online. <laughs> well, what scripture say? Hebrews says this. Let us not neglect, what? Our meeting together. Not our viewing together. Our meeting together. As some people do. So they, this was the issue in the first church. Some people were neglecting meeting together. What's important? One, is, one of the important reasons of meeting together. It's to encourage one another. If you're not here, you can't encourage me. I can't encourage you. He says, especially now, the day of his return is drawing near. So that's another way, indication that you're drifting. You're drifting. Now, if you drift a little bit, you drifted uh, over a long time or, or a lot over a short time, whatever drifting you and I have done, the question is, how does God respond? Now, again, in our personal relationships, sometimes we completely drift apart. So what, how does God respond? Well, God always responds the same way. His grace. His grace. Is it never his desire to end the relationship? And my small group on Thursday, somebody was struggling with that concept. You know, somebody can live a wicked, terrible life all their life, and hours before they die, they can 
pray the prayer of salvation and go to heaven when they die. And they said, it doesn't seem fair. Of course, grace isn't fair. It doesn't seem fair. So I want to ask you the question, does it seem fair if you've lived your life, you know, you're Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, you've lived your life serving God completely, totally, as much as you can, and 15 minutes before you die, I said, ah, I don't believe in you anymore, Jesus, and then not go to heaven? That doesn't seem fair either, does it? So, God's response is always grace. A verse we looked at earlier in this series, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. That word no is the strongest no in the Greek. It means no, no, never, never, ever. Condemnation. No guilty verdict. No punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. And so there's a condition. If you're not a Jesus follower, this isn't true. But as a Jesus follower, there's never going to be any condemnation on you. And we're going to explain to you in a few minutes why. Now, there are consequences. There is loss. You lose your effectiveness. You lose your fellowship with God and others. You lose your joy especially. You know who the most miserable people on earth are? We all know people that aren't Jesus followers that are perfectly happy, right? Their life is good. And people you know that are really sold out to Jesus, they really have joy too. The most miserable people who are Jesus followers that aren't following Jesus. Just like Peter in his denial. He, got, he, was, he was broken when he realized he'd, he'd done exactly what Jesus said he was going to do, which he said he wouldn't do. So let's talk about why God doesn't, in the relationship with us, reject us when we sin. First, because his love is unconditional. We talk about that almost every week. Ours is, so it's hard for us to comprehend what unconditional love truly is like. It means there's no ifs, ands, or buts. So, no matter what you have done, how long you've done it, no ifs, ands, or buts. God's love is unconditional. Many verses I could put on your outline. Here's one. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Never ends means <laughs> never ends. His mercies never cease. So his love is unconditional. That's all, all I need to say, but I'm going to say a couple other things. Secondly, he doesn't reject us when we sin because salvation, this relationship we have with God, isn't based on my performance or lack of performance, right? <clears throat> it wasn't based on what I do or don't do. It's based on God's grace. So if it's based on that, then he's not going to change it. Reading a verse here from Titus, there's lots of verses. This one I haven't used in this series yet. He, meaning God, saved us, not because of the righteous thing or good things you and I have done. Hopefully you've done lots of good things, but that didn't get you into heaven but because of his mercy. Excuse me. He washed away our sins, given us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. There's only one way to get to heaven. That's through God's grace. You can't earn your way. You can't work your way. You can't bribe your way. You can't sneak in. There's no other way of getting in. But I'll, people complain about that. I always say, well, at least there's one way in. Because it could have been no way in. If Jesus hadn't Provided that way for us. <clears throat> so, Scripture says this. So, it is God who decides to show mercy. If he hadn't decided to show mercy, we'd all be lost. 
We can neither choose it nor work for it. God's the initiator. A couple other reasons why God doesn't reject us when we sin. God doesn't reject us when we drift away. Because Jesus has already taken my punishment. We have a law of double jeopardy. If you get uh, tried and determined you're not guilty, you can't be tried for that again. All right. When one person's punished for something, another person can't be punished for that. The punishment's already happened. So that's exactly what Jesus did for you and I. The wages of sin is death. You and I have all sinned, so we all need, deserve to die. Jesus was the only one who didn't sin, so he didn't deserve to die. So when he died, he could die for somebody else. He took somebody else's place. And so he's hanging on the cross. He's, one of the things Jesus says it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished, meaning I am dying. He said, it is finished. What is finished? Your redemption and mine. He had suffered up to a point where he was going to die so he could take our place. If he took my place, then I don't have to take that place. So, whatever sin I've committed has already been paid for. No matter how far I've drifted, it's already been paid for. No matter, no matter how big my debt is, it's already paid for. Basically a blank check. Now, one other point here though. Okay. Those of you who are Jesus following, if you're not, we're, we're glad that you're here, we're glad you're watching. Um, when you stepped across that line, when you entered into that relationship, you accepted that gift, how many of your sins were forgiven? Just the ones up to that time? No, the only way when I became a believer as a teenager, the only way God could guarantee me heaven when I die, back when I was a teenager, was that he was going to forgive all my sins for the next almost 60 years and however long I live, right? So, well, if they're all paid for, I can go ahead and do anything I want. I can cheat on my wife, cheat on my taxes, Go around hurting people. All my sins are forgiven. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Warning. <laughs> Grace is not a license of sin. In fact, put on your outline this. Grace should give us the want to, to do right. That's what grace is. When you experience the grace of God, it is so amazing. It's so overwhelming. <laughs> you and I, now, we will do wrong, but it shouldn't be blatant license to go off and do anything I want. Now, when I talk about this, I always like to distinguish between two words, punishment and discipline. Punishment and discipline. Sometimes we use them interchangeably, but they're not the same, especially when we talk about relationship with God. <clears throat> Punishment's retribution for the past. In our lives, it's usually a result of anger. Um, so somebody breaks the law, they're punished by being put in prison. Uh, they could be uh, re rehabilitated in prison, but maybe not. They are punished from their past actions. You and I cannot be punished because Jesus already been take the punishment for us. Does that make sense? So you and I can't be punished. Again, it's double jeopardy. Now, God does discipline us. In fact, he says, and you, you understand it, God disciplines those he loves. You discipline your kids that you love. 
You don't discipline the neighbor's kids. I didn't discipline the neighbor's kids. They want to be brats. Their parents have to deal with that. But love requires discipline. Now, discipline is forward-looking. So, you have this shortcoming in your life, son or daughter, and I want to help you mature, uh, grow up. So, this is going to be your discipline to help you mature, grow into be an adult. So God does do that with us, but he never punishes us. Jesus would already take our punishment. Uh, here's a verse from 1 John. When Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins, he solved the sin problem for good. You and I all have the same big problem, sin problem, that none of us can fix. Not only ours, but the whole world. So anybody that's ever lived can have their sin problem fixed by the sacrifice of Jesus. That simple. Another reason God doesn't reject us when we drift away or we sin is because Jesus understands my human weakness. This is so amazing. God, in the presence of Jesus, left eternity in heaven, came down and took on the form of a human being. He was 100% human, just like you and I. It's hard to comprehend. And so consequently, he understands uh, what it's like to be human. He completely understands. Uh, and so what's amazing is God's patience with us, isn't it? So um, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Our high priest, this high priest, Jesus, of our, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same feelings we do, yet he did not sin. That's the amazing thing. You and I can go a while without sinning, but we sin. Can you imagine living 33 years on earth and not sinning? Facing temptation after temptation after temptation, never giving in. That's what Jesus did. So he is sympathetic. Can't be empathetic because he's never sinned, but he can be sympathetic. He understands. He is patient. I guess eternally patient. Always patient. And... Uh, I think one more, other, one more reason, other reason God doesn't reject us when we sin is this, because God doesn't hold on to grudges. We talked about how important it is for you and I not to. Uh, last week we talked about forgiveness. Um, I'll read you a couple of verses out of this psalm. It's just beautiful. Uh, the psalmist wrote this. He said, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for our, all our sin. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. you think God deals harshly with you? No, he doesn't. He goes on. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Beautiful image. The east and west never meet. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Now, there's a condition, right? To those who fear him, those who are in a relationship with him. If you're not in a relationship with God, this doesn't apply. Don't ever feel, if you're a Jesus follower, that God is angry with you. He's not. He sees you through Jesus. And he's compassionate and tender. So, what do I do? If, if you and I drift, come back. Uh, Jeremiah wrote this. He said, come back to me. Of course, God's words. You unfaithful children, I'll forgive you for being unfaithful. We call this repent. Now, illustration I really love is this. You and I drift, and we drift, and we walk away, and we keep walking away from God, and, you know, step after step after step. 
So we've, we've wandered a, lo- a, a long way. How far is it back? Is it the same amount of steps back? No. It's only one step back. It's if God is pursuing us, if he's following us, and he's just waiting for us to turn around. Big difference between fellowship and relationship. Fellowship is our current status. So my relationship with my wife, my current fellowship with my wife, I may be close to my wife right now or I might not be so close. We might have some issue going on between us. So that changes. It's current status. Right now it might be better than it was yesterday or it might not be as good as it was yesterday. Relationship, on the other hand, this is huge, is a permanent position. Now, I can do lots of things to mess up my fellowship with my spouse or anybody else. But I can't lose my relationship. Well, technically, I guess I could get divorced. (laughs) Uh, Let me use parent-child, all right? No matter what your child does, you may be out of fellowship. We were out of fellowship with one of our sons uh, for three years. No contact, all right? Was he still our son? Absolutely. So, if you're a child of God, you're not going to be unchild of God. But think about it this way. We talk about being born again. You can't be unborn, can you? So, the fellowship can really get disrupted. Your heart can become cold. You can really drift away from God. Uh, But you're never going to lose your relationship as a child. So what should I do when I sin? What should I do when I drift? Again, Jeremiah said, return. Return. Turn around. Repent. Um, Jeremiah also said this, if you return to me, I will restore you and you can continue to serve me. Now notice, okay? Always come return, but it's not return to just do what we want. The happiest people are the people that are serving Jesus. All right? Our sins are forgiven. We have the privilege of serving him and that's the greatest joy here in this earth. <clears throat> uh, you think you've done too, too much, too bad, too long? Notice this verse, Isaiah. Beautiful word picture. Though your sins are like scarlet. That's a really dark red color, right? I will make them white as snow. That's quite a contrast. And he says it again. Though they're red like crimson, I'll make them white as snow. Now, it's hard for us to comprehend that. But it doesn't matter what you've done. Not much worse than what Peter did, denying Christ three times, right? But Peter's story has a happy ending. My wife likes movies that have happy endings. Um, I say, we always know what's going to happen at the end. But anyway, I like a little more suspense. Um, so, Jesus is talking to his disciples in that last, that last meal, and he says to Peter this. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. Jesus did that for Peter then. Jesus does that for you and now, you and I now. Isn't that cool? Simon, that your faith should not fail. Now notice what he says next. This is neat. So when you have repented, not if you repent, when you have repented and returned to me, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is crucified. He raises from the dead on the third day. 
And the ladies come to the tomb and meet this angel, and this angel says something to him. Here's what the angel says. Now go tell his disciples, Jesus' disciples, he's not here, go tell his disciples, including Peter. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Peter's one of the disciples, right? Why is he including Peter? Because I think Peter didn't think himself worthy at this point to be a disciple. Denied him three times. So he says, include Peter. Make sure Peter understands this. Jesus is going ahead of them into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. And so later on, Peter is in the boat, and he sees Jesus on the shore. And he can't wait to row, up, row ashore, so he jumps out of the boat and, and swims to the shore. And he has this conversation with Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, uh, yeah, yeah, Lord, I love you. Peter, are you sure? Peter, are you sure you love me? Yeah, 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 Jesus, I love you. Peter, are you 100% absolutely sure that you love me? And Peter's getting a little frustrated at this point, but he says, yes, Lord. I love you. I love the fact that he had Peter say it three times that he loved him because he said it three times that he didn't know him. So, have you fallen away? Last verse on our outline, I believe, is this. Prayer of the psalmist. Make me as joyful as you did when you saved me. Make me want to obey you. One translation says, restore the joy of my salvation. Do you have the same joy you had when you were saved? Notice he doesn't say restore salvation because you didn't lose the salvation. You lost the fellowship. Constantly you lost the joy. So restore the joy of my salvation. So here's my assignment for you. It's kind of a tough one. Was there ever a time when you were closer to Jesus than you are right now? And probably, I don't know how many, but there's certainly some of us that would say yes. Why? Why? What is hindering you right now from having this close intimate with Jesus? Because Jesus is waiting and wanting to restore intimacy with you. I pray you do that spiritual work because we restore the joy to all our salvations. Let me pray with you and let you go. Father God, we don't understand grace. It's not our nature. And God, we do drift. We get tired, we get lazy, we don't want to be too fanatical, whatever the reason is, we drift. Um, it's work. And as we drift, our joy decreases. And most of us have been believers for a while and we go through this cycle. And I pray, God, that we're, we're willing to repent. We're willing to turn around if we're drifting. We're willing to put the work in. We're willing to figure out how it is to be replenished and refreshed when we get tired so that we don't lose our usefulness and lose our joy. So we thank you for this amazing grace that you always take us back. <laughs> you took Peter back, you take us back. And as always, we want to pray for anyone that you're not in God's family. You've never accepted that gift and, and you don't have the joy of salvation. You carry the burden of your sin and probably don't know or you're trying to fear or maybe don't care what's going to happen to you when you die. Well, 
let me just assure you, there is eternity. And Jesus wouldn't have suffered and died if it wasn't necessary. And he died for everyone. He died for you just as he died for me. I've accepted a gift. If you haven't, all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus. I need your forgiveness. I want to be in a relationship. That's grace. God wants to pour out his unconditional love on you. Will you accept it? I pray that you do. Father God, this week is, oh, every week is faced with challenges we don't know, but you know and you go before us. So we go with courage, I pray, courage and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.